Welcome to Painting the Midnight Oil Podcast with your host, Dan Oils. Good morning, everyone. It is January 27th, big day today. It's a big day for a couple different reasons. One, I have the day off. It's the end of the second marking period. I was able to finalize all of my grades late last night doing some work on the internet cable around my neighborhood. So the internet kept on going out periodically throughout the afternoon and into the late evening. So I wasn't able to finalize those grades until about like nine o'clock last night, but I finished it, which means I have the entire day to myself. And because I teach in a different district than my kids, my kids are in school, I'm home. This never happens. I'm enjoying some time to just focus on podcasting and painting. But that's not the only reason why today is a special day. Today is January 27th, as I already mentioned, which means that it represents the one-year anniversary of my first painting. And as I mentioned many times before, just in case this is your very first episode that you're tuning into, uh, my wife uh, gave me oil painting lessons for beginners for my birthday last year when I was turning 38. I'm almost 39. Uh, you know, it didn't completely or didn't exactly coincide with my birthday, uh, but it just so happens that these oil painting lessons started at the end of January, and I finished my very first oil painting exactly one year ago. You know, for the past year, I've been debating whether I should post a picture of that first painting. I've posted literally every single finished painting that I've ever painted, except for the, my very first one. As you can imagine, I don't think it's very good. Just like the very first time that you tried something, I can pretty much assume that you weren't very good at it either. Maybe, you know, sometimes we're lucky, sometimes we immediately find a talent or uh, we immediately find success with a particular task or activity or passion. But not always, a lot of times we just have to work at it. And I finally decided that it was time to post it. So this morning at six o'clock in the morning when I first woke up, I decided to post it, get it over with. It's important, even though it's not very good. And again, art can be very subjective, so what does that even mean? But to me, it doesn't really meet my expectation for what I wanted to achieve on that particular piece. Especially now that I have a year of experience under my belt, it is not a reflection of what I am capable of. But it's very important that I see that to remind myself of how far I've come. It's important for everyone else to see that, just to show that progress and improvement can occur when you dedicate yourself consistently over time. And so today is, is a big day for me. And I've had a lot of time to reflect on how much I've grown and how much I have learned. Every single piece has taught me something. Every single one. And at some point, um, you know, I'm thinking about having a series of podcast episodes when I discuss every single lesson that every single painting has taught me. So you understand kind of the thought process from my very first painting to my last painting. Right now, I think I'm on number like 47 or 48. So my goal was to get 50 paintings in one year. I almost met that goal. Um, but nonetheless, I am I was very close. And I'm, I'm very pleased with the progress that I've been able to make over the course of the last year. So last week, I talked about Rich Dad, Poor Dad and the impact that it had on me. 
um, shortly after reading that book, or actually in the process of reading that book, I really started to fall in love with reading. Um, kind of like a similar experience in how I really fell in love with painting. You know, I just immediately knew that uh, there was something there, that I really enjoyed the time that I was spending um, engaged in that activity. Uh, Rich Dad Poor Dad also helped me with my sobriety. There were a lot of powerful lessons that I learned um, as I was reading that book. Um, there were certain passages that really resonated with me, uh, but it was also just an activity that really allowed me to stay in my own house, you know, out of trouble, you know, away from temptation and um, distractions, and really just helped me to focus on myself and really helped me to really engage in a very beneficial and productive activity. I talked a lot about that last week and I talked about how um, it really started to uh, you know peak an interest in investing which I didn't really know anything about prior to reading that book and I talked a little bit about assets and liabilities but I never really discussed in great detail what they were. Um, I mentioned the definition that uh, Robert Kiyosaki lists in Rich Dad Poor Dad, but I didn't go into further detail. And that's what I'm going to focus on today. We're going to break down assets and liabilities again. I'm going to provide you some more formal definitions, but I'm also going to introduce to you a new economic slash accounting slash financial literacy term that uh, I am fully responsible for. I'm excited about introducing this term to the world. Now, I also have to apologize in advance to anyone that is currently enrolled in an economics course, whether it's micro or macro or finance or accounting, because your current textbook is going to be obsolete uh, really soon because uh, the publishers of your respective textbooks are going to have to create a new edition um, to accommodate this new definition. Now. Don't worry, because they're going to do this anyways. Um, they're, they're always going to add just one little typo or address a typo or add one word, render your current edition obsolete, produce a new edition, and that way you're forced to sell your current textbook for pennies on the dollar, take out another loan so you can purchase your new textbook. So I'm sorry for my involvement in that entire scam, um, but nonetheless, uh, you will benefit long-term, even though it's going to be a short-term hassle in financial liability. Now, before we get to that new term, let's recap assets and liabilities. Assets and liabilities are absolutely critical in generating wealth for yourself. And a lot of people spend their money on liabilities, things that aren't going to hold any value or not going to produce any cash flow or return. On that initial investment. Um, Robert Kiyosaki, I think, includes a very brilliant way of simplifying that term liability and he says that a liability is anything that takes money out of your pocket. Right? Pretty straightforward. An asset, on the other hand, is something that puts money into your pocket. One of his main points of the book is that you need to try and focus your attention on acquiring assets, um, especially assets that not only hold value, but also can produce value on their own, um, that can produce cash flow on their own. Now, unfortunately, sometimes when we simplify terms or definitions, uh, those definitions are rendered incomplete. We don't have a full and comprehensive understanding of what they are, 
And sometimes even if we have an understanding or a general understanding for what a term is, we don't have any additional examples to give us a more comprehensive understanding of that particular term or concept. So I was never an economics major or finance or business major. That's like, actually, that's not true. I was a business major at first, but we didn't really discuss finances. So all these terms were new to me prior to reading Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And because I was never really engrossed in uh, those courses of study, I don't have any textbooks laying around the house. I do have my old uh, textbooks for my um, you know, various courses of study, but none of them really focus on assets and liabilities. So I had to look these terms up. Now, this isn't the intended source that I was hoping to find online. You know, honestly, the search results uh, were less than desirable. But nonetheless, I settled on some definitions from Masterclass. You know, take that for what it's worth. I'm not as familiar with Masterclass. I know that um, it can be an excellent source for various uh, niches. Um, notice I said niche and not niche. Bugs me when people say, you know, they try to create like these really sophisticated ways of saying um, words just to sound like they're intellectuals. But anyways, um, it can be a really useful website and trustworthy source for various areas of expertise. Um, but nonetheless, this was the source that I settled on. It's not a government website, it's not a university website that does explain what assets and liabilities are. So I'm going to go into those defini definitions first. And then based on those definitions, you'll have a better understanding for what they are. And then that will segue into my new economic term that will be found in the latest editions of your collegiate textbooks. All right, so according to masterclass.com, what are assets? Asset is any resource or good used to generate cash flow, reduce expenses, or provide future economic benefits for an individual, government, or business. Assets contain economic value and can benefit a company's operations, increase the value of a business, or raise an individual's net worth. Personal assets refer to those owned by an individual, while business assets refer to those owned by a corporation or company. Assets can be physical or intangible, currently available to sell or available for long-term sale, or used for the daily operation of a business. You can calculate a company's equity, solvency, or financial health by subtracting its liabilities, meaning outstanding debts or accounts payable from the value of its total assets. Now, in that definition, it actually goes ahead and defines liabilities as well. And again, liabilities meaning outstanding debts or accounts payable. So, liabilities are anything that you still owe. Assets, anything that is paid off, that you own um, outright, that can be sold um, for uh, a return. Now, something that I find problematic and I think can be confusing for someone like myself who is not as experienced uh, with these financial terms. And, and maybe this exists, I'm not really sure, but I, I feel like there should be a classification or a taxonomy of different types of assets. And I think that'd be helpful to understand that, um, you know, there's different classes of assets. There are assets that yes, can be available for sale, that yes, hold value that you can sell for a return. Um, but I think there also needs to be a differentiation between that class of asset and an asset that is producing a profit. Um, 
And I'll tell you what I mean by that. So I own outright my Toyota Camry. I recently just paid it off. Okay, it's a 2015 Toyota Camry. I bought it for around $25,000. Now recently I researched the value of that vehicle if I wanted to sell it. Now I forget the exact number and you know, as you know with different commodities, different um, you know, goods, their value can increase and decrease based on what the market um, is suggesting or determines. It can also depend on the condition of the good. So let's just say for easy math that I could sell my 2015 Toyota Camry for $10,000. All right, now technically that Toyota Camry is an asset. All right, it is a physical good. Um, it could be available for sale. Um, it is used for the daily operation um, of my business technically. However, again, if I were to sell that vehicle, it would be sold at a loss. Still an asset, but I'm still technically losing $15,000 for my initial purchase. And I think that needs to be separated from uh, maybe let's say another used car. Like I have a friend, Chris, that this is his business. He buys uh, these barn finds, these exotic cars that have been just left um, abandoned for decades and he takes them to his shop, he and his brother fix them up, and he sells them for a profit. I think that, even though they're both vehicles, they both represent different classes. Because in one case, you're generating profit off your initial investment. And with my example, even though I am still generating money, it's still at a loss. All right, so I think that can be really confusing. And again, maybe there is a classification for those two types of examples, I don't know. But nonetheless, liabilities are anything that you still owe. Now, last episode, I talked about, or I shared my brief introduction into various types of investments. And my one of my ultimate points was that, in my opinion, the best investment that you can make is with yourself. All right? Because sometimes it can be difficult to understand the systems and the markets. There's a lot of different terminology and jargon that you really have to study up on to ensure that you understand what is happening. And I think a lot of that is done on purpose. And that's not just related to the financial sector. I think that's true for any industry, that it's a way of kind of separating employees or active participants in that industry from the layperson, and it gives them power. Um, when in reality, a lot of those terms that have maybe ambiguous or intimidating terms or, or language behind it, they can easily be broken down into more simplistic language. Um, and again, I think that's done on purpose to basically provide job security or to prevent people from fully understanding that particular market or industry and forcing people to hire them for that particular service. But nonetheless, I think that the best investment we can make is with ourselves, whether that's reading, learning about you know self-empowerment, self-improvement, learning about investments, uh, trying to identify talents or skills that we have and, and sharpening those skills and honing those talents, uh, whatever it is, you know, how can you improve yourself? How can you create value in the market? Um, how can you create value for other people? How can you uplift other people around you? How can you help promote and create a better society for all of us? 
right? In discussing these terms, assets and liabilities, and in discussing investing in ourselves, I came up with this new economic term. And I'm gonna provide some examples for this term. And the term is, you guys ready? It's a very serious, mature term that I came up with. And the term is assibility. And assibility is exactly what you uh, suspected. It's the combination of assets and liabilities. And I'm going to kind of feed off the ambiguity of assets and liabilities to create a more focused term that combines assets and liabilities. And then I'm going to ask you to think about any examples that you have before I give you some examples that I have. All right, so an assibility is exactly what it suggests. It's something that has the ability to become an asset and a liability. And I have my own definition of what an asset and liability are. It's a little bit different than what um, the formal definition is, because again, I think it can be really confusing. It's not as clear, it's not as concise. So an assibility is basically something that has the potential to lose money consistently over time. It's something that is unable to recoup its uh, losses. Something that is just constantly requiring um, a financial investment, but is unable to uh, generate a profit. All right, that's my definition of a liability and how it relates to the term assetability. An asset, on the other hand, is, um, or the asset component of assetability is uh, the ability of something to generate a profit or improve its initial standing. Right? So even though this is technically a financial term, it doesn't have to always relate to finances. That's kind of my hint that I'm giving you for some examples that this could apply to. All right, so think about that. Can you think of anything that would qualify as an assibility, something that has the potential to lose money, but something that has the ability to earn money. That's it. That's, you know, looking at it through a financial lens. Now, is there something that could be harmful or deleterious to society? And is there something that could be advantageous and beneficial to society? All right, so the very first example that I'm going to give you is people. People have the ability to be both assets and liabilities. We are assibilities, all right? And this is very clear to me as someone who um, used to have uh, a drinking problem, someone that used to abuse alcohol. And you know, my late teens and early 20s, I was a liability. I was someone that was not fulfilling my potential, my capabilities. Uh, I was constantly spending my money on supporting that harmful habit uh, through my actions, through my behaviors, I was constantly um, creating conflict, creating problems, causing my family and friends uh, stress, wasn't really adding value to their lives, at least when I was under the influence. Right, so I was a liability for those years, overall, I would say. Maybe that's harsh, but that's, that's how I would qualify it. But I'm almost 
well, not quite. I'm approaching my 14-year uh, anniversary of sobriety in April. So I still have a few more months to go before I hit that milestone. But I would like to say that over the last 14 years, I've been an asset. And ever since I uh, cleaned my life up, I've been trying to make up for lost time, I guess. Trying to correct those wrongs. Just, just trying to be a good person. Trying to be who I am meant to be, who I was supposed to be all along. Try to add value to people's lives. Try to improve my life. Um, how can I lift, uplift other people? How can I uh, use my strengths to provide value to other people? How can I uplift others around me? Um, so for the last 14 years, I'd like to say that I've been an asset. That's important to understand. And, and even if something is a liability, it doesn't mean that they are always going to be a liability. Um, but you have to make key changes. You have to make key decisions. And you have to make those decisions uh, consistently over time uh, to be classified as an asset. Another example of an asset is the biggest investment, the biggest financial investment that I have made in my business. And this was a purchase that I made um, about six, seven months ago. Um, I'll get to that purchase here in a second. Now, when I first started painting in January of last year, almost to the date, I first started painting down in the basement. And I podcast in the basement. So on the other side of this door, we have a finished basement, which I'm always secretly really proud of because growing up, I did not have a finished basement. I was always very envious of all my friends that did. And so I love the fact that I'm able to provide my kids a finished basement. There are a lot of elements of my childhood that I haven't been able to recreate. Um, but this is one thing that I have been able to recreate and that brings me a lot of joy and satisfaction. So we have a, a finished basement, but it's not the largest space. So there's a lot of different activities that are conducted down here. So we have an unfinished section and that's where we have the washer, the dryer, the water heater, uh, the control panel. That's uh, where we have like our little you know, dry storage pantry because uh, we don't have a larger pantry upstairs. It's where we have just like our catch-all for a lot of miscellaneous goods. And I, I try not to you know, stay in there very long because it gives me a headache just looking around. Um, and then we have our finished space and we have, uh, we have our couches and a larger TV. It's where we fold our laundry, watch a movie or watch a football game every once in a while. And then we also have uh, a bench, our free weights, we have all of my kids' toys. My wife has her pottery wheel in the corner where I used to have my easel. So there's just a lot of different activities that are conducted down here and it can be overwhelming. It's, it's just a lot. But that's where I started painting. Now, as you can imagine, I started to get paint everywhere. So I started to get paint on the walls, on the floor. Uh, my easel was backed up against the couch. And if you go to my Instagram account at dan.oils, um, you'll see one of my earliest pictures of myself painting down in my basement. It was a canid shot that my wife took. You'll also see the picture um, that I posted this morning of my very first oil painting that I ever completed. And so I was starting to realize like this just isn't the space, you know, this isn't sustainable. You know, I'm growing out of this space. I started painting larger canvases. I started painting on like 24 by 36s, and it was just taking up a lot of space. Um, in addition to getting paint everywhere, in, in addition to 
um, just how congested that area was, my wife started to experience uh, like chronic sinus issues. And for like several weeks, she had a sinus infection. So it just wasn't, it just wasn't healthy. The third reason why I decided that I needed to, you know, transition into a new space is that I selfishly, I just wanted my own, my own space. I just wanted an area that was specifically for me and my art. Uh, one that was completely closed off, that was free from distractions. And, you know, I, I just didn't have any money to really invest in anything else though. You know, I didn't have enough money to, uh, justify paying rent somewhere when I wasn't generating any income from my art and I didn't have that luxury of just bleeding hundreds of dollars every single month. We didn't have the money to invest in an addition. Uh, we didn't want to move and, and purchase a new house you know, just to accommodate uh, my art, hobby, interest, career, however you want to describe it. We locked in on a, on a good interest rate, so we didn't want to abandon that. And so I'm like, you know, what can I, what's the solution? I have to be creative. How can I resolve this pain point? Um, and I started to think about other solutions that checked all those boxes, and I settled on an enclosed trailer. Now, just north of where I live, there's um, a business called Beckley's. Uh, that sells RVs, campers, enclosed trailers, and I drive past it every once in a while. It's actually right across the street from the business that I just referenced that my friend Chris and his brother owned. And I was like, you know what, that's what I should do. It's Yes, it's an investment, but it's moderately priced, and it solves all of those problems. I can park it in my driveway, and it's completely contained. And if we did move one day, I can just hitch it up, to a truck and, and hauled away. Now the only thing is, I don't have a lot of money. You know, I'm a teacher, and you know I've referenced my formal education, and the only reason why I keep like continue to reference my formal education, it's not to kind of elevate myself. It's just to show you that um, I experienced failure by dropping out. And I was able to regroup and I was able to uh, consistently demonstrate effort to achieve those goals. And that's what this entire podcast is all about. So that's why it's important for me to reference that. But I know it might get annoying <laughs> or feel like I sound like an elitist over here. But I'm not trying to do that. That's the reason why I keep on mentioning that. But as a result of those three degrees, I have a lot of debt. And in another episode, I'll explain why I felt the need to do that. But... For right now, we're going to focus on the debt that I have and how that has impacted my ability to save. Now, it was a conscious decision to go back to school and do that. I'm not trying to generate sympathy. I'm just saying that as a result of that decision and as a result of the pay that we as educators receive in this country, um, I've not been able to save nearly as much as I would have hoped by this point in my life. So I didn't have a lot of money saved up. And I made a huge investment in myself. And I ultimately decided that I would take my savings, my life savings, which wasn't a lot, obviously, um, and I would purchase an enclosed trailer. So I, and I did just that. So I went over to Beckley's, I bought a six by 10 enclosed trailer, paid it off immediately, paid it in full, so I wouldn't have a monthly uh, you know, note. 
And so as a result of that, because I paid it in full, it immediately became an asset. And that was attractive to me. So I could always have the opportunity of reselling it um, for some sort of, you know, return. May not get my money back, but I'd still be able to salvage some sort of value from it. So I didn't have a truck to haul the trailer home. So my brother helped me out big time. He met me up at my house. We drove over to Beckley's, bought the trailer, hauled it home. And because I don't have a truck, the very first stop that we made prior to dropping it off at my house was the Lowe's. So we, we uh, stopped and by Lowe's. By that point, I had a list of all the different materials that I wanted in order to successfully transition it from an enclosed trailer into my art studio. So I spent the remaining uh, savings at Lowe's. It was thousands of dollars worth of materials, uh, insulation, um, wainscoting, uh, contact paper, all of these materials. Actually, the, the contact paper I purchased from uh, Amazon. But you get the point. So I, I spent all this money on materials. I just threw it in the back of the enclosed trailer, locked it up, and then we dropped it off in my house. Um, so I actually documented that transition on YouTube. Now, this wasn't the main reason at all, but one reason why I wanted to do that is that was a marketing strategy that I had that I thought would generate a lot of attention and eyeballs to my account. You know, I had done some research on people that had transitioned uh, enclosed trailers into living spaces. I never saw someone transition an enclosed trailer to an art studio, but these people that I had successfully done that had hundreds of thousands, if not millions of views. And I was like, well, that's it. That's a great way for me to market myself. So if I buy this enclosed trailer and I transition it into an art studio, I'm going to have hundreds of thousands, if not millions of views. That was my thought. Well, it didn't work out that way. <laughs> um, but the first thing I did was I, I ripped off not ripped off. I unscrewed all the panels, all the plywood panels from the inside, on the sides and on the floor. And I used four different types of insulation in that enclosed trailer. Sometimes it was to double up the insulation. Sometimes, depending on the area that I was insulating, uh, certain types of insulation just didn't make sense. So some of them were more malleable than others. Uh, so depending on the space that I was trying to insulate required a different type of insulation. Um, so after I installed the enclosed trailer, I reinstalled the plywood. I put up contact paper that looked like finished concrete. I installed the wainscoting or wainscoting, however you pronounce it, which is essentially like beater board. It's the best way to describe that for those of you that aren't as familiar with those terms. It's like a finished thin piece of like finished plywood that has that's ribbed or that has ridges in it. Um, it I think it looks really nice and then I also have uh, trim I installed uh, finished I'm not finished I installed a vinyl marble flooring so it looks like marble flooring the last thing that I did was I hired a um, local electrician to bring power to my enclosed trailer because I wanted to be able to uh, control the climate of the space and a portable air conditioning unit and a space heater require a lot of power. I didn't want to trip my uh, house circuit. So that was that took up the last bit of my money. So I hired an electrician, 
actually went into debt, I think, on that part. Um, they tapped into my electrical panel down in my basement. They ran a line underneath the floor joists, and then they basically created an external or exterior outlet, ran a weatherproof cable up my brick uh, facade, along my eave, down my support beam for my carport, and then tapped into an existing hole in the rear right-hand corner of my enclosed trailer. And from there, they installed three different outlets. So I have the ability to run a space heater. I have the ability to run a portable air conditioning unit, lights, anything that I need. I don't have to worry about um, you know, compromising the existing circuit of my house. Now, the last reason why I decided to do that is it's really symbolic. And I don't have enough time to really go into that experience, but when I was a kid, I lived in a trailer. Um, my family and I lived in a trailer from 1984 to 1988 while my dad was building our house. And for part of that time, we didn't even have uh, running water or electricity. And it was pretty dire circumstances that we were living in for a little while. And it just brings me back to that time. Um, you know, when I was first born up until I was four years old, I lived in a trailer. And even though I was only four when I left, I still have some very vivid memories of what that experience was like. It's very symbolic in how I am starting my art career in a trailer. And it brings me great joy when I'm in there knowing, just reminding myself of that. And it's very inspiring. It's very empowering. And ironically, my art studio is a lot nicer than the trailer that I used to live in. Um, you know, the reason why I decided to do that is, again, because I'm investing in myself. But that trailer is a perfect example of an ass ability. It has the potential of making me look like a complete ass. I could lose my life savings in that enclosed trailer. It could just be a place where I spend a lot of time um, and I never, or I have the potential of never generating a single dollar um, with my art. Now that's not true because I've already made money from commission pieces. But it has the potential to be a major liability. Because even though it's paid off in full, I've never been able to recoup that money. I'm still in the whole thousands of dollars. But it also has the potential of becoming an asset. And an asset, again, in my definition of something that is able to generate uh, income and essentially pay itself off and produce, over time, a profit. And that's my goal. And that's where I come in. And I'm the missing link. Because the enclosed trailer isn't going to generate income by itself. I'm going to have to be the one that generates income based on the time that I spend in that enclosed trailer. And every single time I spend time in my enclosed trailer, I'm reminded of that. And it helps to motivate me to stay on task. It helps to motivate me to continue to explore art, um, to take risks with my art. So someday I can pay off that trailer. So someday I can turn that enclosed trailer into a cash flow asset instead of uh, liability uh, based on my own definition. And for me, it's just a reminder that I'm serious about this, that this isn't just a hobby. You know, this is something that, I am, that I'm serious about, that I'm serious about improving, that I'm serious about using this medium to inspire other people, that I'm serious about using this medium to hopefully pay my bills one day um, so I don't have to 
continue teaching until I'm in my 60s. And so I can continue to provide for my family in other ways and ultimately inspire other people to uh, pursue their passions and dedicate consistent effort over time uh, so they can see what they're capable of and see what their potential is. Thanks for listening to the Painting the Midnight Oil podcast. Come back soon.